1: Liverpool gives City a pep talk. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what has been going on in the Premier League over the past few days, while in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and more importantly, we once again have a full house and that means leading the line from the front is Carl. Carl, how have you been since we last spoke?
2: Yeah, really good Dan, another, another controversial week in the world of the Premier League and VAR, so I'm sure we've got a, a few little things to talk about this week as usual.
1: Yes, we've got a long list of topics to get through. And of course, that means that Carl is also joined by strike partner, Drew. Drew, how have you been in the past week? I hope all is well.
0: Yes, absolutely. I'm doing well. Chelsea has been on a fantastic run since it's the international break. The US men's national team comes back later this week. So I'm having a great time right now.
1: Good lad. Right. Before we talk all things Premier League and more, I'd best do some social media bits first, otherwise we'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So, first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Stan Tracy1983. And also, the podcast has its own account, and that is at Real Football Pod. So, if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join this very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, don't forget to leave a review. And also, if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud or ACAST. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loserpool. And what is Loserpool? Here you ask. It's the company behind the game, Last Man Standing. One which is free to enter, and the prize pool once again stands at £1,000. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account because the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? There's only one place we can go to, and that's Anfield, as Liverpool made, I guess, quite light work of Manchester City. And Cole. As good as, as the Reds were, we'll once again have to talk about VAR. Because for you, obviously that flashpoint at the start of the game, did you think that Trent Alexander-Arnold handled the ball before Fabinho's incredible strike just a minute or so later?
2: Yeah, um, yeah I think obviously, you know, if, if I, I think a few people have said this, that maybe if that goal isn't scored, then that possibly does go back to a VAR review. And, and for me, I, I think I would have given it. Um, I do think it strikes his hand and his hand is out there and for me yeah I would have kind of said you know it's that would have been one of them when it? if it was given no one would be moaning if it isn't given then there's a little bit of controversy behind it now especially given Liverpool go straight up the other end and score um, but for me I, I would you know I, I would have thought that could have been given and maybe Liverpool just you know went and scored that goal at the right time and that kind of put that little argument to bed but there was a frantic start and um, that little bit of controversy kind of set the tone for the the rest of the game, really.
1: Absolutely. And, Drew, we've been saying for a while that it's going to take a high-profile error for people to get to the point that fundamentally VAR needs to change. Do you think that is the one that likes the blue touch paper and they have to have some sort of meeting and change the way it's being implemented? Because, you know, you referenced that it was going to be something along these lines of a game of that magnitude and something's not got quite right. So, for you, do they have to take this international break to really iron out the kinks?
0: I think they are going to do that. The reason I don't think this is the moment that is the genesis of that is because I think the call itself is controversial enough. I do think it was a handball. I think Alexander Arnold's arm was too far out of the silhouette. I thought his arm was extended and, and all of that. I think too many referees, too many people are pretty much split on this. Therefore, it's not clear and obvious it's really t- – especially Michael Oliver is you know one of the more respected referees in England. So I actually think this isn't really enough for everyone to say, you know what? We really got to make something happen now. I think this might be kind of the point that pushes it over the edge but just because so much was building for it. I do want to say this though. I didn't notice this initially during the match I, when I went back and saw highlights. I, I saw this. After that ball hits Alexander Arnold in the arm, it falls right to Sergio Aguero, and instead of either taking a shot on goal or backpassing it uh, or backheeling it to Raheem Sterling who was wide open in the box, he throws his hand up and goes sprinting after Michael Oliver. He should have continued playing till the whistle. And for a man who's been a professional for 10-15 years, that to me is a simple mistake, and so I think Aguero is really escaping the fury of Manchester City fans, or uh, you know whoever, for not continuing to play on because this call was in such a high-profile game.
1: That's a very good shout, actually, because if you think you know that sort of experience, that game management, you play to the whistle or at least a decision, and. You know, there's still a lot has to happen. So if Aguero takes a touch, it almost kills any Liverpool counter and they probably don't go 1-0 up. And, Cole, for you, I know uh, Claudio Bravo was getting pelters from Gary Neville. Do you think that was a bit unfair or should he have done better from Fabinho's incredibly hit shots?
2: Uh, I think that, you know, that that's one of them goals, isn't it? It was such a well-hit shot and, you know, so early in the game. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, goals can be scored where sometimes you just have to sit back and go, well, you know what? that's a pretty special goal. It's been hit like a rocket. Um, And you just have to kind of say, well, there's not much you can always do about goals like that. You know, it wasn't a rank bad piece of goalkeeping where he drops a ball or something like that. Um, We kind of have players, don't we, that are easy scapegoats. And I think Bravo um, has definitely become the kind of easy scapegoat that as soon as he gets a game, if there's a mistake, especially, you know, you had the incident in the midweek in the Champions League where he gets sent off. And again, that incident, yes, he's rash. But if you look at that incident in the Champions League, he doesn't really touch the striker too much in that incident and the striker goes down very easy Um, and I think people do just like to try and label Bravo as a calamity keeper Um, but with that goal I don't think there was too much he could do it was a fabulously hit shot Um, and and it just you know it it kind of sparked Liverpool into life and at that point they kind of do what they can do can't they which is take the game away from teams Um, so yeah I don't think there can be too much blame placed on him for that one
1: Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think even if you put Edison in goal for that one, I I think it was just such a good hit that... I think, yeah, it was a
2: rocket, wasn't yeah. it? It's was absolute rocket. And and I say sometimes we have to admire goals like that because you know the, people are allowed to score good goals every now and then, aren't they?
1: Well, this is it. It's not just someone doing something bad. You should appreciate good moments of skill. And it's kind of go. I mean, it made me sort of just go wow, like literally just off the sofa. I was that thought was like that good a, a hit. Just sort of just woke me up. But um, that's just me watching football. I guess I'm quite vocal. But uh, Drew, you mentioned Sergio Aguero. The Anfield jinx continues. Another failure to score, not his day in front of goal, was it?
0: No, absolutely not. And you're right, he's he's never scored at Anfield. And I think this even goes back to his days at uh, Atletico Madrid. Partially, especially now, I think it's merely just because Liverpool is a very good side, very good defence. So I, I think that's a, a big part of it uh, in the past few seasons. I think now it has to be creeping into his mind of, you know, this place. I just, for whatever reason, can't figure it out here. Um, and 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 again, it, it's going up against a good team, right? Even if you go back to when they played in the Champions League, right? Liverpool dominated those matches. Plus, I think now Klopp has shown that he's able to out-fox Pep time and time again. So I think kind of all of these things are combining to really make it – Just a miserable place for Sergio Aguero to go to every year.
1: Of course, Carl. It would be unfair just to talk about VAR and not give the credit to Liverpool because they really did manage to expose City's back four. Now, on the basis of that, is the decision not to replace Vincent Kompany one that is really coming back to haunt the club?
2: (coughs) Yeah, strange one, isn't it? Um, obviously, you know, City were unfortunate with the injuries, weren't they? You know, Laporte picking up that injury that he did so early in the season kind of knocked them um, because it would have been nice to see that game played with, you know, each team having their best 11 on, on the pitch. Um, but as you say, you know, a club like City, when you've got the kind of riches they have, um, it's strange that they've let them fall into a position where, you know, one injury to a centre-half can kind of knock them. Um, I think Potch pro- um, Pet probably thought he had um, some good covering options, but as we've seen, you know, if, if you're not a natural centre half, then it's not an easy position sometimes to pick up. And you know, this could be that injury could be one that really does um, knock City's title defence because you know, right now, uh, yeah, obviously, it is too early to say that's a title decider. Let's face it, if you're looking at the way Liverpool are playing and the way City are playing, I think I see City dropping more points throughout the season than what Liverpool will. And that kind of, that gap that there is now, I'm not so sure I think City can claw that back this time. Um, and I don't think Liverpool will let it go. Um, so for me, you know, I kind of, you know, I think Majose said it in the panel as well that day, that if Liverpool win this game, I think that's it. I think it's title done because I just don't see City being able to claw it back. And I also see with those defensive frowl, is City slipping up again at some point?
1: And on the topic of centre-backs, Drew, does Pep now enter the market in January? You know, with the gap being what it is... Yes,
0: yes. You don't even have to finish your question. Well, yes, absolutely. Then, I'll,
1: I'll throw a name into the ring then, because <laughs> um, January moves, you can't really get the sort of top-caliber player that you want, because obviously teams don't really want to sell mid-season. That said... I, Laporte, did move in January, and so did Virgil van Dijk. So, I'm going to throw a name into the ring. Could City go for Toby Alderweireld in the new year?
0: You know, that's an interesting question. the The thing, it, this is going to be the problem for Manchester City, is everyone knows about their defensive issues and knows that they're desperate, especially... Trying to go after the Champions League, I think, is probably a bigger priority than the Premier League for them at this point. And because they are so desperate and because everyone knows it, and like you referenced, no one really likes to sell in January. I think these teams, and take Spurs with Alderweireld, can be absolutely ruthless and really hold them for ransom. And I think, whether it's Alderweireld or any other center back that they try and look at, City will have to pay up to the high heavens to get anyone they want. And I think that's going to be the the question is are they really going to shell out 50, 70, 80 million on a center back someone who is maybe out of contract or someone who's uh you know not exactly in in a coach's good graces because they really need someone to cover for the next, you know, few weeks or few months before they can really get to the summer. I think that's going to be the biggest problem for them, is do they really want to overspend for someone? I think they're going to ultimately do it because they have to. right? Clearly, filling in with center backs isn't working. Or, I'm sorry, with uh, defensive midfielders. The center backs, they do have. Stones, Otamendi, absolutely untrustworthy. Laporte was really the only guy. And when he comes back, is he going to be the same as he was at the beginning of the year? You know, that... That's really unknown at this point, coming off of injury, and so all of these things make it really, really tough for City. I think they will spend the money on maybe Alderweireld, maybe someone else. They're gonna have to pay way significantly overpay because of this dire situation.
1: So, Cole, from a Tottenham point of view, I'm you know I'm literally starting a transfer rumor here. Obviously, this is quite theoretical, but how much credence would you give this? Could you see it happening? With Toby sort of being on the naughty step and almost, you know, the exception is that he's not going to be at Tottenham next season, are we at the point now where if City did come in with quite a, an eye-watering bid, would it be too good to turn down?
2: Yeah, I think it's a plausible one, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously, as we say, we've got the situation where we know Toby's not signing and, you know, we keep hearing the word rebuild at Spurs. So you kind of know those players are all going to be off Um, and the disharmony that there seems to be at the club now. It would make the right time if you're sitting then you're sitting there thinking, well, hold on a minute, we need a short-term gap possibly till the end of the season um, where we you know, can just get to that end of the season, look at our options again. And actually, i know, sure they'd have to... They wouldn't necessarily, in their terms, have to break the bank necessarily for him, would they? You know, I think right now, Spurs... If City went with 25 mil, Spurs would probably take the money knowing that they now want to get this player off their books and start the rebuild as such. And, you know, 25 mil for a player like Ada who's still got a lot left in him and is still a decent defender, um, it, it, that could be a really good move. And, you know, he's experienced, knows the league, can come straight in, no settling down, period. Um, I think you've probably, you might have opened the can of worms there, Dan.
1: Well, like I say, I just think it seems quite logical. Obviously, I don't want to lose Toby Ada but... We are in the acceptance that I think I'd be very, very surprised if he's still in Tottenham colours 12 months from now. And I think with the city in the situation they're in, this is could, you know this could be two and two being added together and getting five, but it seems a lot closer to four at the moment. So if you hear it and it happens, remember you heard it here first, all right? So I'm just ten
2: percent, yeah, Dan, ten percent of the fee, yeah. You heard that,
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? So. Drew, what did you make of Pep's comments after the game? Because you got the feeling they were sort of sour grapes. He was referencing the fact that City are back-to-back champions and all this sort of quite strange narrative. Ultimately, had his attempts at mind games in the week pretty much backfired?
0: I wouldn't say it backfired. I just think it didn't work. I I don't think anything he said was the reason they lost. Right, because Liverpool were fantastic in this game. City were good, just Liverpool was that much better i I don't think that he was uh plagued by his comments coming back to to bite him in the butt. I just think they got outplayed in pretty much every aspect of the match, and so that's really what it came down to. But you're right in that his comments before about Sadio Mane and then after the game about how we played like champions did you really i I don't think so i I think Manchester City had a few too many moments. Where they didn't look like champions. You know, when we talked about Aguero earlier, running after the referee instead of continuing to play, right? You guys referenced uh, Claudio Bravo. For the first goal, I thought was a fantastic strike. But the third goal, he completely misjudged the uh, flight of the ball from Henderson's cross and was caught in no man's land. So I think those moments you can say I don't really think you played like champions, and it was a bit of sour grapes, especially going up to Michael Oliver and the sarcastic handshake. I've never seen someone so vigorously shake someone's hand. You could tell that he was very angry, very upset, and with the referees, right? You saw his actions uh, on on the touchline screaming. That's twice now. So yeah, I, I think everything he said in his in his post game presser you can't take anything from it. At least not at surface level. Because everything he said in there was pretty much I have to be here, I have to speak to you guys, but this is not at all what I think, this is not at all what I feel, so go ahead and print it, but this is not the truth whatsoever.
1: Yeah, there's a definite smoke screen around those comments, wasn't there? But, it's uh, talking of smoke and fire and all this, Carl, one of the flashpoints in the game was Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez squaring off, and it sounds like it spilled over to England duty. So much so, that it seems that, well, reports say that Sterling then grabbed Gomez around the throat the following day and as a consequence has now been made unavailable for England's next match. So has Gareth Southgate gone about this the right way in declaring this sort of public dropping of Sterling?
2: Yeah, this is a real hard one, isn't it? Because, you know, I think, you know, this is one of them times where, you know, supporters sometimes chop and change their view, you know, if if we're hearing that then, and obviously we don't know what, if this is the truth or not, but if we're hearing what's happened is that they've all, turned up at the England canteen in the morning and Gomez has gone to say hello to Sterling and Sterling has just snapped for some reason and grabbed him, then I don't really think Southgate's left with much um, option, really, because no matter who you are as a player and, you know, you're standing within a squad, um, you can't have that sort of reaction and players feeling that they can do that to one another um, a day after a game. So... You know, I'm not really sure, you know, some people will sit there and say, yes, it's brilliant. And then you'll have others saying, no, I don't think this is the right thing to do. But I do think you have to set a tone of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Um, And it doesn't matter who the player is. You know, if Harry Kane started going around the Spurs training ground, you know, grabbing and punching people. um, You know, some of us would love it right now, the way a few people are playing. But you would have to ultimately accept that, yes, you can't act like that in what is a workplace for these guys. So, um, you know, there's been lots of people, you know, I've seen lots of tweets saying, well, why hasn't Gomez been kicked out of the squad as well? But if, you know, what's happened is the truth and he's just gone to say morning and has been grabbed round the throat, what's he done that means he should be kicked out of the squad as well? You know, he's obviously gone to drop the situation from the game before. Um, so I think Southgate's done the right thing. I do think you know there are times you have to set examples of what's you know acceptable and what isn't, um, and we have to remember that this is a workplace for these guys. You know we wouldn't we wouldn't have our someone in our line of work come and grab us by the throat and just think that it should just be dismissed and everyone moves on. So I think the right thing's been done if the situation we're hearing is what it is. You know, of course there could be completely another side to this. Um, that we haven't heard about yet. But for me, I think he's been strong. He's done it. You know, you could say, is he being strong at a time where he knows he can be? You know, Montenegro's the next game. If this was a World Cup semi-final, would he be so quick to now be kicking Sterling out of the squad? Um, But, you know, I think he's been brave. He's been strong. And sometimes as a manager, that's what you have to be.
1: I guess one theory here, Drew, is that Southgate is not going to be willing to allow cliques or inter rivalry to damage any squad harmony within the England camp. And you'd almost say from a City point of view that they're going to be quite pleased that one of their stars is playing one less game of international football in the next week or so.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess if you're trying to find, you know, a silver lining in it for City, that that is the case. I don't think a game against, you know, Montenegro would have been the undoing of... Raheem Sterling or of, of Manchester City in terms of their pursuit of Champions League or trying to get back to winning the Premier League title. I do think Southgate was right in this because, I mean, I, I've read before. I'm you know I'm not an England fan, but I've read before and listened to interviews about how like take the 2000s Lampard, Terry, Gerrard, Ferdinand, all these different guys playing for different teams, and they talked about how they didn't talk to each other except when necessary. They sat within their own club cliques. And they were not necessarily a divided team, but definitely not a united team. And because of that, they feel that was probably part of the reason they didn't reach some of the heights that were probably expected of them at international level. And I think Gareth Southgate doesn't want to see that happen because this is a very talented, very, very talented England squad that should be able to win – An international tournament, right? They got close at the World Cup. They got close in the Nations League, if you want to include that. And the same thing for the Euros coming up. They should be able to get to the semifinals, if not a final. And I think Gareth Southgate knows that this type of division in the team, this type of anger or hatred could be very, very detrimental to his team and, and to possibly his job.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think the sense that, you know, you can't let these factions start to build. And yes, there is less risk attached to playing Montenegro. So why not just, I guess, show your authority and say, look, it's not happening under my watch, really. So I think, you know, it's a shame that Sterling has felt he needs to carry on this um, tete-a-tete, from Anfield, but I think it's been dealt with in the right way. People will argue it should have gone public, but again, maybe it just puts the rest of the squad on warning. You know, he had a little bit of a dig at Madison because he was going to a casino when he's meant to be ill. So I think, you know, Southgate has in the past come across as a bit of a soft touch, but he is sort of just wielding his power, and rightly so, I think. So before we go to um, any other Premier League action, let's talk about Liverpool and the fact that they're playing in two cups. In two days on two continents. Now, this happened five minutes after I released last week's episode, which is quite annoying. But, uh, Cole, has your opinion changed on this sort of matter at all? It's not good for the franchise. I mean, it just looks like the Carabao Cup's being franchised. It's a bit of a dead horse now. Not great, is it? But what else could have been done?
2: Yeah, I think we're you know things like this will help put the final nails in the coffin of a competition like that, won't they? Because as you say, now it's almost like it, it kind of dismisses the tournament as oh well, actually we're not fussed. We'll allow you know Liverpool quite happy and you know, we're willing to let them feel basically a kid's side in this so that they can concentrate on another competition. And it, it kind of just puts the whole thing a smear on it, doesn't it? Because, you know, although you know, we know Liverpool have played a weakened team in each round so far and they have played kids, but it's been scattered with some, you know, senior pros, whereas this time you will really see just the Fred Bear Youth team put out, Um, and it just doesn't set the right message, doesn't it? It doesn't sit right, you know. Um, And but then there was nothing else they could do, could they? You know, they're not going to turn down the world club competition for this. You know, they have to go in there, and it's a you know it's a glamour tournament for them. Um, And now you know we'll we'll get to this bizarre situation where we see what we see, Um, and that's just hope that doesn't happen more often because yeah, you know, but like maybe like as we said the other week maybe maybe this will finally start seeing within the next year or so the carabao cup um just lose its place in english football and and we'll get rid of these fixtures but yeah not not ideal but i guess you know they've got to do what they've got to do and and we'll see how that game pans out you know if they get through that game then you know you think well well done to them because you know that will be a team that we'll see completely full of kids this time so that that's going to be an interesting game
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Liverpool as an entity, they can't really be, as a senior team, in two places. If Liverpool entered their under-23 team into the Carabao Cup, you know, how they do like with the, the checker trade and all that, then yes, there'd be a way around it. But just as the concept of a football club, you can't really be split apart across the world. It just doesn't really sit right. But... There are, I guess, a freak set of circumstances with the Club World Cup and the winter break, and we have sort of referenced this last week. So it's not ideal, but we move on. Andrew, I asked you a question about VAR because the VAR chief, Neil Swarbrick, has somehow given the technology 7 out of 10 in the Premier League thus far. I get the feeling you're going to disagree with that assessment.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, if you don't disagree, you're high on bath salts. There's no way. <laughs> Anyone can agree that VAR has been a seven out of ten this year. Now, I, I will say this: I, I do want to, you know, put it in this caveat. Is obviously, it's more fun to complain, and we remember the most controversial or what we feel is, you know, the most uh, the, the wildest mistakes. And, and so, those are the ones that are going to stick out in our mind, or maybe the most, you know, aggrieved people, depending on if it, you know, hurt their club or not. So I, I will say that, but I think objectively, VAR has been a disaster this year, and something you know we've talked about on the show is it does come down to the lack of quality in the referees, in the guy watching the VAR monitor, right? So it does come down to that. And obviously, the quality of referees in England just isn't that good right now. So that – I mean that that's what it is. It, it, VAR has been a nightmare because the people operating it simply aren't very good. As the head of it, what's he going to say? I mean is he really going to go and throw everyone under the bus and say, <laughs> oh, it's, man, you guys have been terrible. It's been a negative 6 out of 10. I mean you can't say that. So I, I get where he's coming from. I think 7 I, – I, I think the reason he used 7 is because right when you look at player ratings – 7 is considered just kind of an average performance. And so I think that's where he was trying to hit the mark. I, though, think that's way too high of a score. I think if he had said 5 out of 10, that would have been enough to say, look, we get it, but also, come on, you know, give us a little bit of credit. I think I think he was trying to hit that mark, but he missed on it.
1: OK, then, so Drew, if we're using the same scale, what are you giving VAR thus far?
0: Minus 1,000. It's minus been awful.
1: <laughs> minus a 1,000. Cole, any other numbers you want to chuck into the mix for this one?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't go far wrong from what Drew said there (laughs) of it. I mean, it needs needs major work. And, you know, each week we're now starting to see more and more bizarre decisions. You know, I'm sure we'll come to it. But, you know, when when you're having to spend four minutes just to work out if a toe is over a line, then something's gone massively wrong in the system.
1: Yeah, I'll get to that now, actually, because I don't really want to talk about Tottenham actually playing because it was dog dirt. But... Um, Drew, I was at the game on Saturday, Tottenham Sheffield United. Some say, unfortunately. But Carl's right. Four minutes to get a decision and it wasn't even a goal for Sheffield United. You know, like you say, VAR, the concept, even that's, you know, not great. But fundamentally, we like the concept of VAR because it's meant to be ruling out or correcting errors and all this nonsense. However, implementation, rubbish. How on earth can it take four minutes to decide whether a toe is offside or not?
0: Believe me, I wish I had the yeah. answer. And I'm I, one thing, you know, people always say clear and obvious, you know, for offside, clear and obvious is not the standard because you're on or you're off. I, I, I do think it's so ridiculous, though, that, I mean, essentially, if I believe it was Lundstrom who who was flagged for offside after several minute delay. I mean, essentially, if he wore boots half a size smaller, he's onside. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, he's not which so- to me...
0: Which to me is so ridiculous because is he has he really gained an advantage at that point? Because and I know this is spirit of the law versus uh you know the the written word of the law, I get it. It, it. To me, offside is having an unfair advantage being beyond the last defender. So if he wears a size 10 boot now and he goes to nine and a half, is wearing a ten really an advantage? No, I don't think so. And 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 I think that's where people are are really starting to hate this, is because it's it's so absurd to what is really considered offside now, because there isn't an advantage on that. He didn't gain anything because of that, and so I think that's why people are so frustrated with the decisions being made. And then, of course, like you said, they're all. I mean, that that's the tipping point, and they're already frustrated on waiting for three four minutes whatever it happens to be for offside or for this call or for that call and it's just getting way out of hand that it's just inconsistent from week to week and I, i think so many people had high hopes for it and it's just the the expectations were much higher than they probably should have been and therefore the lack of meeting that expectation is i think what's frustrating so many people
1: and Drew, I'll stay with you because I don't think you would have seen this. But on our UK match of the day, one of the pundits suggested that VAR almost has a, a kind of shot clock or a decision clock where it's got to be made within 60 seconds. Now, do you think that's a good idea or would that then perhaps rush decisions because you've got to give an answer within that time frame? How do you think that could play out?
0: Yeah, definitely more the latter because, well, for, well, first, give them all the time they want now and they can't get it done. Yeah, true. And, and And now you're going to put the pressure on them of 60 seconds, 40 seconds, 20 seconds, countdown. I mean, what, are you going to put a little buzzer in their ear saying <laughs> 5, 4, 3, 2, 1? I mean, that's I, – I think that's going to make it even worse. I get where he's coming from. I completely understand the speeding up the process. And if you are a top-level referee, you should be able to handle the pressure. So I get where he's coming from. I just think that's actually going to backfire and cause even more harm and consternation.
1: Yeah, I think you're right on balance, actually. It would be quite interesting, but I think, like I say, refs would just be panicking and you think, well, actually, now you just made the wrong decision. Pandora's box would probably be opened after that. Right, that's all the VAR chat for this week. On the other side of the break, we'll talk some football, so don't go anywhere. Your accumulator letting you down again. You've cashed out early. You just can't win. Prehistoric football coupons? Nah. Have a think about it. Why not play a new way? At Loserpool. Pick a loser and win a £1,000 in a last man standing tournament. Be a loser and win. At Loserpool. Enter for free now. Visit Loserpool.com Okay, everyone, welcome back. We've got quite a few games to get through because VAR's eating up a chunk of time. So let's get rolling. And first up is Leicester, because obviously with Leicester and Chelsea both winning, Man City are now fourth in the table. And Carl, it just seems like there's no stopping Jamie Vardy at the moment, is there?
2: Yeah, he's a man on form, isn't he? You know, he's been a striker I've admired, you know, since he burst on the scene in the Premier League. Because he's one of those players that most opposition fans don't like him and hate him. he's one of those that you want him to be your player because he plays with a kind of nastiness and an aggression that actually if you want to be a top player you need to have that Um, you know his work rate is phenomenal Um, He doesn't give defenders a minute's rest. And what I felt was really good in that game against Arsenal, Dan, was he worked out where the weak point was in that Arsenal defence. You know, he spent the first, you know, 20 minutes or so going across the back line, seeing who he could work, seeing who he could kind of get the better of. And once he realised that, you know, actually, this left side of this centre-half pairing is the weak side, he just kind of stayed on them to full advantage and at the moment there's not a hotter striker in the Premier League and, you know, there's talk that people, you know, people trying to mention now that Will Southgate try to go back and get him to come out of retirement but why would you? You know, If you're Jamie Vardy and you're playing the way you are right now, then that little break and not worrying about the international football is clearly having a great effect on him. Um, He's playing in a great side that are giving him plenty of opportunities. Um, And I'm afraid, I think a few big clubs have really missed out on Jamie Vardy because he is a really good striker and one that you can just see at the moment carrying on scoring those goals.
1: Oh, yeah, there's no stopping him, is there? I mean, the 2016 Version of Jamie Vardy, I didn't really like, obviously, because he helped Leicester win the title at Tottenham's expense. However, I've come to sort of appreciate him a bit more now, and you sort of think, like you say, Carl, this is someone who's in the the late the late years of his career. He's elongating that career. He's not just going downward. He's even almost getting better under Brendan Rodgers. So credit to him, and I think he was fantastic again on Saturday. Not just scoring, but also turn provider for James Madison. And as a consequence, drew Arsenal lost, and they've now won two out of the last ten. So. If it wasn't before, the pressure is really starting to mount on the shoulders of Unai Emery now, isn't it?
0: Yeah. You know, look, I've I've been saying for a while now, he's got to go. He's clearly not the answer. However, I did read uh, over the weekend that apparently the board are backing him and they they are giving him his full support. Now, obviously, many boards have said that before and then sacked the manager a week or two later. So, you know... Uh, Take that with a grain of salt. I do think if they truly are behind him and they're going to let him right out this season, to me, that is a sign that they are just punting on this year and saying, you know what, guys, whatever happens, happens. And next year we start fresh, which I think is a very tough pill to swallow for their fans. I think it's very tough for, for supporters to see a very apathetic board a board that's sticking with someone who can't figure out his best eleven, who can't get the best out of his team, who can't behind the scenes, you know, keep them in check and, and and manage them and be the leader, and I think it's just it's incredibly hard for fans to see that and have any faith in Emery, in the team, in the club, in the board or anything, and so I, I think the the board have to take control of this situation, and they have to get rid of him. And bring in someone because if not, it's just going to keep spiraling. Things like Arsenal fan TV are going to, you know, fuel the fire even more, uh, you know, much to my happiness because I, I love that channel for the wrong reasons. Um, I, I, I think Arsenal are just in complete disarray internally and externally.
1: To give some credit to Arsenal, colt they did at least have more of a game plan on Saturday. However, it was a lack of real ex- execution that proved to be their downfall, isn't it?
2: yeah as you say they they went with a system didn't they? You know they tried to play the five at the back to kind of you know obviously they were that that scared of Ardy and Madison and that going forward that you could see there was a mentality of that's just make sure we try not to concede here. Um, But uh, I've said this so, we've said this so many times with Arsenal, you know, you could go back to podcasts being done two years ago, probably, and we'd have a similar result and we'd be saying exactly the similar things about Arsenal that we are now, Um, you know, that they are just spineless when it comes to a fight, Um, you know, there's no real direction in that there. Um, as Drew said there, the board let the Wenger situation drag on far longer than it should have done when it was clear that the guy, you know, was never going to take them back to the greatness that they were at one point. And they could be about to fall into that situation again. You know, it seems quite clear that Emery isn't going to be the man that's going to turn it around there for them. Um So you'd think they might act. But again, you know, if they're just going to sit on their hands and let this play out again, then as a a supporter, you've already seen this drag on once with a manager that wasn't right. And you're going to see it start happening again. And you can't see any different results than what they're getting now. You know, yes, at home against some smaller sides, they'll be okay. But when push comes to shove and there's a tough game, well, you know Arsenal won't show up and they won't put the effort in and the desire in that they need to to get results in those games. Um, I have to say in that game as well, there was a dreadful VAR decision that didn't give a penalty, wasn't there? You know, because let's face it, in the first half, the free kick comes in and Gwen Doozy grabs the centre half by the shoulder. Um, and that result could have been so much worse for Arsenal. You know, they, they come away with only a couple of goals conceded. But if you take a lot of incidents in that game, that could easily have been a four or five nil defeat by the end of it. Um, and maybe that would have been something that definitely would have put a now in the coffin there for Emery. Um, but they, they managed to get away with just two 0 But I don't see things changing for Arsenal. I think they'll have a, you know this season will continue like this. You know, one good result, then a couple of bad results. You know, the, the fan base is toxic. It seems toxic in there, um, and something's not right. But you know, you'd think the ball would act because if they, they want to salvage a season, they're, they're going to need to.
1: Drew, Leicester, they're now nine points clear of Arsenal in the battle for a top four place. I get the feeling that this is a team that's going to last the distance. They're not going to win the title, but they will be a top four team. Do you feel that they need an extra name in the the new year in the chance window? Or do you feel that Brent Rogers has got the makeup of the squad spot on?
0: I think they are in the title race, especially if Manchester City are. And with the squad they have, I think they can maintain that. I understand the idea of you know trying to strengthen in January. I don't think it's necessary because when Brendan Rodgers had made has made substitutions, whether that's in the midfield or, or different areas, those guys have come on and done jobs. Whether it's been uh, Pratt who's come on, whether it's been uh, Gray, whoever it happens to be, they're able to fill in and do just as well. So I actually think it's not necessary to go get someone in January. I mean, it, I guess it couldn't hurt, but I don't really think it's necessary. I think what they should do is continue play out the year, stretch this team, see how far can they go. And then in the summer, especially with having Champions League next year, or assuming they, they make it into the top four, which I think they will, you know where the team started to fade towards the end of the year because of you know, heavy legs, or you know where they struggled against some teams and you can figure out where to strengthen. So I think they should ride this team out through the year, see how far this squad can go and then really beef it up in the summer, especially because you know you're going to have that Champions League money coming in. And so you'll be able to go out and get some good, good quality players.
2: So the the only one place I would say then they might need to, Leicester, will be up front because I think obviously Vardy's doing really well at the moment, isn't he? But if he suddenly goes on a barren run or picks up an injury, I don't think they have a striker that they can come in and rely on for goals. And that possibly could be the one thing where the one position that they, I think, could cost them if they don't have someone in there that can kind of back up Jamie Vardy. You know, midfield and defence, I think they'll be fine, but scoring goals is the key and it, it could only take one injury for Vardy or him to go on a barren spell and I don't see anyone being able to step up there to, you know to that level for them.
1: You're right, but I guess they're also in the same kind of problem that we have with if- Harry Kane and trying to get a backup for him, it's that when you're trying to buy a backup striker and you know they're not really going to play bar an injury, how can you recruit? You know, we've had this conversation so many times in regard to a Tottenham point of view that Leicester, with Vardy being as good as he is again under this resurgence, they might be in the same situation. Yes, they've got a Jose Perez, but he's still a little bit rough around the edges and maybe the only way he'll get better is by playing. But again, you know, with Vardy being on such a hot streak... Then when do you play Perez? You know, there's a myriad of questions that come with that. But in terms of Leicester, they won and they wrestled second place away from Chelsea, who after getting the better of Crystal Palace, had recorded their sixth straight Premier League win. And Carl, on the basis of the first 45 minutes, you've got the feeling that although goalless, that opening would eventually come, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, obviously Chelsea's home form has been a little bit patchy so far this season. But as you say, at those points during that game, you just felt the goal was coming at a certain point. And, you know, they were knocking on the door. Um, You know, Pulisic is playing brilliantly. Williams having a brilliant spell as well. Um, Tammy Abraham up front always looks dangerous. He's got some great movement. And, you know, you can see that the confidence is flowing through him right now. And as you say, you, you just kind of thought, okay, it's just a matter of time. And if Chelsea keep doing what they're doing, goal will come and it eventually did and, and you know it was a solid performance and, and if you know Chelsea can get that home form right then you know they, they look in a strong position
0: this season
1: well Drew there just seems to be no stopping Captain America right now does there
0: absolutely Cristiano Pulisinho is running the show for Chelsea right now um, and like Carl mentioned you know I mean even in the first half he was probably their most potent attacker and He's been fantastic. Unfortunately, he he came off after scoring in this game with uh, a hip injury and because of that he's going to miss this international break for the US. I mean, for him and his career, that probably is is kind of a good thing that he doesn't have to fly back to America to to play in these games and he can kind of rest up, take the next, you know, 10 days off and not really have to worry. And so he's been fantastic. I think he's continuing to prove that he should be in that starting 11. And he's keeping out what you know what's what's incredible about how well he's playing is he's keeping out academy products, right? Kalama Hudson Adoy last year broke into the eleven, into the first team, and was pretty good. He found his spot. And then Christian Politic has come in and pretty much wrestled that spot away from him. Yes, I know Hudson Adoy was hurt, but he was expected to pretty much come back and and be a starter. And Pulisic has has taken that job from him. So, yeah, he's been flying. The entire Chelsea team right now is doing really well, especially they have had, you know, pretty manageable opponents, Newcastle, Palace, Burnley, uh, Watford. So that has helped. But they're in a great run of form right now. And, you know, I I think if you're a Chelsea fan watching this game, you had to be optimistic they were going to win and you have to be optimistic on the season right now.
1: Staying on the theme of London clubs and always not well at West Ham. So Manuel Pellegrini has now failed to win any of his last six league matches. And although the board have said that time will be given, Cole is going to be fully aware that the rot will have to stop soon.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, West Ham start each season, don't they, thinking that they've kind of made the next step up and they're ready to kind of challenge the top six or so. And each season, you know, they kind of get off to a reasonable start and you think, okay, maybe, you know, maybe there is some truth behind this. But then they just fade away badly, don't they? And again, you know, the same's happening this season. You know, they're losing games they shouldn't really be losing given the kind of players they've brought in. Um, And it's worrying for them right now, you know, I mean, for me, Pellegrini always looks like death anyway, but maybe West Ham might actually be the death of him soon. He he could just be on the side in a coffin, couldn't he? And you wouldn't think too much of it. I, I think they'll make a change pretty quickly if this form doesn't improve because West Ham have got ambitions to be something better than they are right now. Um and I and I don't think Pellegrini's gonna get too much longer because they actually look woeful. Um, you know, if they were losing games by the odd goal but playing well, you'd think, Okay, you know, it's not too, you know it, it could just turn at any moment, but they look truly dreadful, um, and and they they don't want to be in this situation. So I don't see him getting too long left the way they're playing.
1: So Drew Carl mentioned about the kind of money they spent in the summer. You've got uh, Pablo Fornells, forty million. Sebastian Haller, I think forty-five. We've not seen much of those. Haller had a decent sort of start, but it's gone very quiet. Fornells has scored in the League Cup, and that's it. So. Do questions need to be asked about West Ham's recruitment strategy in the summer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because like you mentioned, the guys that they're spending money on and, and, you know, let's be honest. West Ham doesn't have the finances like Manchester City, like United or or any of the the big six clubs. And so they have to be, you know, they have to do their due diligence. They have to be really, really smart with how they how they spend their money. And it's proving that they didn't really do that. And that I, I don't want to say yet they wasted their money, but it hasn't worked out. You know, take Felipe Anderson last year. He had a pretty good year, but this year he's been pretty much anonymous. And so, yeah, I mean, I think the board has to look at how they're evaluating potential transfer targets and essentially whatever they were doing before, stop doing that and, and change up their, their strategy because it's not working right now. I will say with this team, I'm not really worried that they're going to get relegated and they may have expectations of you know breaking into a Europa League spot. But with this squad, I don't really think that's, that's a realistic goal. I mean, I, I think if West Ham, with the squad they have, if they do get into a Europa League spot, I think that's a really successful season. I mean, this is just an average club in the Premier League. And so I think their expectations kind of... Don't really match what they put out on the pitch every week.
1: Of course, there were some all important clashes at the very bottom of the table and Carl, it's only taken twelve weeks, but Watford have finally bagged himself a league win. And it's fair to say they got out of the blocks very quickly on Friday night against Norwich.
2: Yeah, this was a tough one, wasn't it? Because, you know, Norwich, not an easy place to go. You know, we've seen that teams like City have stumbled there this season. But, you know, this was a game of two teams in really bad form. Um, And Watford just kind of got that early goal and it settled them down. And then from that point on, you know, they just managed to keep control of the game. Um, I think it's a worrying result for Norwich, if I'm honest. You know, I think we've seen that early sort of buzz and feel good around Norwich kind of slowly disappearing and results are turning against them and they, they, that result I think will just help you know set in a little bit of the wrong momentum at the wrong time um, and I think if you as a Norwich fan now you'd start to wor- really worry that uh, actually you know that early buzz this, this could then become a real long hard slog um, and, and they, they will be in a relegation dogfight Um, And Watford just need to hope that that result can kind of now, you know, be the springboard for some more positive performances. You know, hopefully I think they've got Deeney coming back soon, which I think is massive for them um, because he's a player who kind of lights the fire for that side. Um, But I think two teams with a long, hard season in front of them. But Watford will just be glad to get a positive result out of that game.
1: And Drew, that's now one point from 21 for Norwich. So can you see Daniel Farker's position under any danger or do the Norwich board know that this is the job in hand and how difficult it's going to be and therefore they'll give him the season as a reward for his previous efforts, which obviously were promotion?
0: I would like to say, and, and I hope it's the latter, and they, and that they do recognise this isn't that great of a squad. We are going up against some really, really talented teams in the Premier League and it was always going to be you know uh, a, a tough uphill battle you know there's the the broadcaster of the premier league here in the states nbc they every year they do this series called promoted where they do like a half hour documentary on those clubs that uh join the premier league and the one about norwich it seemed as if the board and i, I don't remember the 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 owner's name uh the woman i can't remember her name Daily she's kind of like yes yeah she's like martha stewart in in the uk yeah She seemed pretty level-headed. She she seemed as if she understood this is a really, really tough task. And we, like Daniel Farca, everything he's done has been great. This has been the plan. He's done what we've asked of him. And so it seems as if they want to, you know, ride with him as far as they can. So based on that, I would say it seems like they're not going to fire him. Then again... Money is money, and if they're really in danger of missing out on, you know, 100 million pounds in Premier League money from TV and all that, it's tough to say that they're going to let him take this team back down to the championship. So I would understand if they do fire him. I would like to see them keep him, though, and let him continue what he started.
1: The big question, Carl, is whether Ralph Harsenhutl gets to the end of the international break as he oversaw another Southampton defeat. And it's one that sees the Saints slip to second bottom in the table.
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we was prepared, were not we, that whoever lost that game at the weekend, we would see the kind of, you know, the next day the manager was gone. Um, and you kind of think with a run of results, Southampton have had it. It's just a matter of time as to when they pull the trigger. Um, I could see it happening in this break and giving, you know, a a new man uh, maybe a couple of weeks to work with the squad. Um, you certainly wouldn't be surprised and even if it isn't now i think he's maybe got one or two more games in him at most before they 'll make that jump because they are the sort of team that they can't afford to go down unlike Norwich where you know there might be some time given and some understanding that you know it's a difficult job for a club that size Southampton can't afford to take the risk that they go down um, and they will make the change it's just whether they're brave enough to do it now or whether they still give him another game Anymore. So um, if it was me, I'd do it now because I think those results have shown you that 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 guy isn't going to take them any further forward.
1: And Drew, on the other hand, Marco Silva, I guess a stay of execution. Four points from the last six on offer. But, you know, the hard work starts now, really, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, he boy, he has made a deal with the devil somehow <laughs> to to still be in a job. I mean, I look, like, you know, I never like to advocate for people losing their job, whether that be in football or not. It is a reality, though, of the world we live in, and, and so that's why I'm just surprised. But, you know, credit to him. If he has been able to kind of rally the troops and galvanize the team, good for him. I also think part of it is is Everton's not a bottom three side in the Premier League, right? They are a mid uh, a mid-table team. So it makes sense that eventually they were going to start kicking on. I'm just surprised that it has taken – this long to do it um I think that early goal from Davis really really helped spark them and against a team that is or that has been so bad in Southampton so I, I think that's good for them I think after the international break when they play Norwich is another big moment because if Norwich is struggling they got to be able to take advantage of it and if Silva can do that then I think he does buy a lot more time
1: Carl United's win over Brighton was impressive shall we say Although, do we need to be careful not to get too excited? Because their season has been stop start. So, until they can get real consistency going, we'll just have to put this one down as another routine home win.
2: Yeah, I think United are in that sort of side, aren't they, Dan? A bit like, you you know, say, mirroring kind of like Spurs this season. You know, they have one result where people kind of go, oh, this could be the turning point. And then, you know, you wouldn't be surprised now if they go and lose the next two and it's all back into crisis again. Um, I think that's just the season they're going to have, you know, the odd good result here and there where you think they might have turned a corner. Then there'll be a couple of slip ups. Um, and I think that will just continue for United. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not good enough for them. But I think that's just the kind of squad and that they've got.
1: You know, I don't think it's good enough to challenge the top four. Um, and they are where they are. And Drew, Newcastle, seven points from nine two wins in a row, and it just shows with the table being so tight from, say, 5th to 16th, that in itself can just change the complexion of your season completely. So Newcastle, they're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, but this little run of form will create optimism and also buy Steve Bruce a bit of credit with the fans, I guess, won't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think he always had a tough job, especially with how much the fans loved Rafa You know, over the past few seasons. I, I, I think he has earned himself a bit of of respect with the fans because he has been able to get results out of this team. Surprisingly, you know, I, I was one of the people who at the beginning of the year was saying 100% market down in ink, Newcastle are going down. And it is tight. You're right. They're nowhere near out of the woods yet. But I think you have to, you have to give him a little bit of praise because they have gotten some good results this season and you would have to assume that they can get a few more and really, really make a push to to stay in the Premier League.
1: So, Wolves versus Aston Villa, I'll take this one. Wolves get their third win in the season. they play 12 matches, but they are the draw specialists, but a good win against Villa. For Villa, they've scored 17 goals at one end, but they've conceded 20 at the other. So, you know, we are pretty much aware of their attacking threat, but their defensive undoings could be the thing that really causes them problems. So, I think Dean Smith is going to have to get them on the training pitch over the international break, whoever's still there and not on duty, and be, you know, doing the drills at the back, really, because that's going to be quite an issue, if not already. Uh, Tottenham Sheffield United, if you really want to listen to people moan about that, you can listen to us on the Come and You Spurs podcast, there'll be links on my uh, Twitter feed, but that's pretty much time for today, so just need to do a bit of admin, and first up, thank the guests, Drew, thank you ever so much for your time this afternoon, an absolute pleasure.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me on, Dan, I appreciate it. Carl, I'm glad you're back again as well, and hopefully you'll be fit for the rest of the season to join us, and as always, pleasure to talk to you guys.
1: Cheers, buddy. Of course, the international break is on the horizon, so Drew, you get a week off, and so do you, Cole. So you need to um, rest those aching limbs because we'll be back in it in a fortnight's time.
2: That's it, mate. Ice bath, and again, yet yeah, same to Drew. You know, being great talking to you guys.
1: Excellent. So yes, we'll be back in two weeks in this format. I'll probably do something in between next week, so don't worry, there will be some form of content. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast. In association with Loser Paul, and until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.
0: 18 plus.